Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and I am bringing you a very different show this week than the one I expected. I recorded on my my day. I just got off of uh, seven days of vacation. Uh, tragically, it had to come to an end. I went back to work last night, and I'm sitting here now with a, a nice cup of water because we're all out of caffeinated beverages here in uh, the Phantom Zone. So at 7 o'clock in the morning after working a 12-hour shift, I've got this delicious, healthy water to help me get by. Thanks, water. So anyway, on the very first of those seven days I had off, I was ambitious. I was going to get things done. I was going to nail down every November episode of the Needless Things podcast all in one shot because we have our commentary scheduled for this Sunday. So that's one down. And I had three interviews scheduled in one day, which is a record for me. <laughs> Anything more than one. I've, I've recorded more than one podcast in a day before. But I've never done, I, I don't think I've ever done more than one interview. Uh, so I have to have three scheduled, but I, I wanted to get it done. I wanted to take advantage of this time that I had off of my day job to accomplish things to make my life easier for my fun job. So one of the interviews inevitably uh, canceled due to technical difficulties that I, I can't use the word unforeseen because they were extremely foreseen, but you know, what are you going to do? Uh, everybody's different. Everybody's at a different level of technology. And, uh, shockingly, uh, I am a little better off technology wise than some. So one interview did not work out. Uh, the first interview that I had scheduled did work out and was excellent. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, topics of conversation ranged far and wide, which is what I like. And we ended up even running a little long because we were having such a great time and because the second interview was the one that canceled. So I had a tremendous interview with our friend Stacy Gordon, who we know from Dragon Con and who has been on the show before a few years ago and who now works for Sesame Street, which is a problem because Sesame Street said, oh, no, 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 no. You can't just run around doing interviews with every raggedy old podcast out there. You, we, we have to approve these things. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's one of those things that happens. So there's a good hour and a half of just excellent conversation, uh, with Stacy Gordon that nobody's ever going to hear except for me and Stacy, which is a bummer because it's great. I wanted to share it. But at the same time, we did have fun talking, and it was a good time. And you guys should still go to PuppetPie.com and buy some adorable little puppets. Uh, she is a little depleted going into the holidays because she's been so busy. But after the holidays, uh, it, it should be back up to normal inventory levels. So please, even though we couldn't get Stacy on the show because she is 
a big power player on Sesame Street now. Uh, please do go check out puppetpie.com because Stacy's wonderful and she's our friend. Uh, interview number two, hopefully I will be able to reschedule at some point. Interview number three happened. Uh, as far as I know, there are no blocks to me actually posting it and it should be up next Friday. So look forward to our pals, and I think I put this over last week, uh, Kamikaze Zombie, who I discovered just a few months ago, and who just put out an album called Nuberus, oh, I'm sorry, Night of the Nuberus, uh, which you can go right now, and if you look up Kamikaze Zombie on Google, you will find them, and you can get their new album right now before you hear my interview with Clint, the vocalist and guitarist, next week. So that is awesome. So what's today, you might be asking yourself. Well, today is going to be the Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors panel from Dragon Con. Originally, it was going to go up in October, but October got all jacked up, just like November seems to be doing. Uh, so it, it didn't, uh, it didn't get posted, which was okay because even if, even if things had worked out in October, I would have done a different panel because I really wanted to do something, uh, with, with the irregulars a little bit more so. Uh, I wanted to have Derek on. I wanted to have, uh, some of the horror news radio guys on. I definitely wanted to do something with Beth because it's freaking Halloween, but October was tough. It was very, very busy. And speaking of very, very busy, uh, the last night, well, not last night, two nights ago, uh, for Halloween, I had the best Halloween I have ever had in my life because, uh, my son, uh, who will still be known as Phantom Jr., wanted to be a Ghostbuster. His original idea for his Halloween costume this year was he wanted to be a Ghostbuster. Uh, and then he, he's very, very into video games. And I don't mean just sitting around and playing them all the time. Uh, he writes about them. He comes up with ideas for them. Like it, it's more than just, uh, I like to play video games and he is very on top of new video games that are coming out. And there's some game that is reminiscent of old Disney animation. It's all sepia tones and it's super creepy. And there's a wolf character in this game. Uh, Phantom Jr. Big into wolves. There's a wolf character in this game. I think his name is Boris. And he wanted to be Boris really, really bad. And uh, all credit to Mrs. Troublemaker. She got that costume together. She made him a mask. Uh, not like a full head mask because a 10-year-old is not going to wear that anyway. Uh, he just turned 10 on the 27th, by the way. Happy birthday uh, to Phantom Jr., which I think I mentioned last week. Um but it just really, really great looking costume. I was impressed because I wasn't going to have anything to do with that one because I looked at that character and I was like, I don't know what, how, how is this going to happen? Uh, but, but my wife is very creative and artistic, uh, and much more effectively than I am. Uh, but when we were in the spirit Halloween store looking, you know, they had the Ghostbusters costumes and, uh, we found one of those it's not a prop replica Slimer because it's about half size. If if you know Ghostbusters well enough, uh, this Slimer that I got, which if you're following Phantom Troublemaker on Instagram, you saw the picture of it, uh, or, or probably multiple pictures of it at this point, it's probably, it might even be a third the size of the actual Slimer, maybe half, but it's about the right size for the real Ghostbusters Slimer 
or for a 10-year-old dressed up as a Ghostbuster. So we were in the spirit store, and I told my son, I was like, oh, man, it would be really awesome if maybe I could dress in all black and just carry this Slimer around behind you if you are going to be a Ghostbuster. He's like, I want to be a Ghostbuster. But he had already made some progress on the other costume, and I was like, well, look, your birthday party is this day. Halloween is this day. So just do two, because he does a costume party every year because his, his birthday is so close to Halloween. So I said, just do two. So I put together his Ghostbusters costume, uh, some store-bought stuff, some, uh, like I, I ordered coveralls and sewed patches on them. Uh, I found boots that, for the purposes of a 10-year-old wearing a Ghostbusters costume, were accurate enough. Uh, I did the elbow pads. But anyway, he looked great. Uh, I was actually very jealous, and I'm going to have to make myself a Ghostbusters costume now because it's not that hard. Uh, I drove all over town trying to find the parts to make the goggles because if you uh, online, uh, I mean, there's several websites with instructional, but but there's one that I found that is like, look, you can get all these cheap parts, you can make it look, you know, almost as good as the screen stuff, but I, I couldn't find the parts to do the the, the I guess it's a P tube. Even even the people that made Ghostbusters don't know exactly what it is, uh, but the tube on the leg of the coveralls that most people don't even notice, um, and then the goggles. I wanted to make the goggles, and and I just couldn't. Home Depot is a nightmare. It's it's a horrible horrible place that I've hated ever since I was a child. Uh, and I went to two different ones, and they just didn't have what I needed. So I should have just ordered everything off Amazon in the first place, like I usually do. Uh, but you know, I wanted to try and shop locally, you guys. But anyway, had a tremendous time. Uh, followed, I, I all I did, I, I had a black morph suit on uh, with pants because it was cheaper to buy a morph suit than it was to buy a hood and gloves. Uh, so I had that with black pants, black hoodie, and then a reflective thing around my chest so I didn't get killed. Uh, but I had just walked around behind my son making Slimer float the whole time and occasionally saying something like, Happy Halloween! Just making Slimer noises as best I could. Uh, and people were thoroughly amused. They loved his costume. They loved the fact that he had Slimer floating around behind him. It was great. We had a great time. And eventually, like, a couple more of his friends showed up in the neighborhood. And I was like, look, if you want me to hang back with your mom... Let me know. I don't want to, you know, if you guys need to hang out, whatever. And eventually he was like, yeah, I'll, that's that's fine. So I was able to un, uncloak and uh, just leisurely walk around. But, man, I was tired. You you try waving a giant foam rubber slimer around for two hours, walking around neighborhoods up, up and down hills. If you're not familiar with the Atlanta area, lots of hills. There's no flat ground. So anyway, trick-or-treating this year absolutely incredible last thing on the list uh supportphantom.com is done it is no more for those of you who uh showed me how much you appreciate everything that i do thank you very much your support means the world to me and i am sorry that it is not practical for me to continue providing you with the exclusive content that the uh, freeloaders in, uh, did not get to enjoy. Uh, those of you who never did support phantom.com for one reason or another, it's fine. I understand. I don't, I don't sign up for stuff like that. I, I, all, every bit of money I have, I need for the stuff I'm doing. So I understand. I get it. Uh, and I just never, 
Uh, I loved the supporters that I had, but I never got any kind of blip for like a year. Uh, you know, it never, word never got out. People didn't care. Uh, it just, it wasn't practical. And I, I've, I have to provide a certain level of content for people who are paying me directly. And with the other content that I want to provide, it, it just wasn't practical. So I shut down my Patreon. It does not exist anymore. And, you know, maybe in the future I'll investigate other fundraising opportunities because I still would like to travel around to conventions. I'd like to do more things than I am able to do. But for now, I will continue the podcast. I will continue uh, needlessthingssite.com exactly as I have been doing. And the best way you can support me, if you appreciate all of the hard work that I do, and believe you me, it is, uh, it's like having a second job. You can go to needlessthingssite.com, click on that big old Amazon box in the top right corner, and just buy stuff. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and we get a little kickback every single purchase you make. And I, I really appreciate those of you who regularly do that. And, and believe me, it shows. Like I, I get my report and I see, okay, uh, you know, we're, we're people are people are helping out. And and now we're heading into the holidays, so you guys have more reason than ever to go do some shopping on Amazon. So when you do, just uh, stop by Needless Things first, and then click on the box and and do whatever. You don't have to buy anything in the box. You just once you get to the website, go wherever you want, and it still counts for Needless Things. So. If you guys could do that, I'd super appreciate it. And this intro has already gone far longer than it needs to, so it is time for me and the guys from Horror News Radio and our buddy Ichabod uh, from the Horror Track to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. First, uh, first of all, actually, I haven't said thanks to Netherworld Haunted House for providing the decor in here and sponsoring our track uh, for many years now. So, these guys, come on. Also, the uh, charity that we're collecting for this year is the uh, Special Olympics Georgia, and uh, that's what this bucket is here for. If you want to donate to that, it is it is official. It's not just some bucket that someone stuffed up here. So, it's not going to be paying for rum later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's how it's done. So, everybody, welcome to our first uh, official panel about docking. We're going to be talking about them for the next hour. Uh, I am very stoked to talk about that. Um, no, but... Okay, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, arguably the uh, the crowd cult favorite uh, of the series. So uh, we're going to be talking about that, but I'm going to uh, let everyone down the line introduce themselves and uh, say a little bit about themselves. 
I am Dave West, the owner and operator of NeedlessThingsSite.com and the Needless Things Podcast, uh, also known as Phantom Troublemaker. And I love this friggin' movie so, so much. Uh, I'm Thomas Mariani. I write and do podcast stuff for a site called Gruesome Magazine with these gentlemen there to my left. Uh, we do horror news radio, decades of horror of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. We did an episode on... Nightmare on Elm Street uh, that came out, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 that came out right on its uh, 30th anniversary earlier this year. Um, and yeah, we have a lot of fun. Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Christopher G. Moore. I'm an award winning filmmaker. Um, I'm one of the main hosts of the uh, Decades of Art 1980s podcast, uh, as well as some of our uh, previous podcasts like For Hannibal, American Horror Story, um, and uh, Newbie Cosplayer. I'm Doc Rotten, uh, editor-in-chief of Gruesome Magazine and host of Horror News Radio, Decades of Horror, and all the things that they were talking about. Is your mic on? I don't think it is. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell how much we do sound checks right before we do. We're very prepared people. Can you do it again? Oh, well. I'll just shout. Project. We can use this one. That one can slide over. Again. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's idea. Shot. We work things out, guys. It's happy. Now a bunch of claws are getting ready to come out of that and grab oh, yeah. your face. It's going to be claw. Uh, this is what I call a hot mic. Let's <laughs> <laughs> all just work on our worst Freddy puns. <laughs> later on, I'll get to that topic because I think, uh, anyway, that, that, that's for later on. Um, I, you know, I started with Doc and Jim, but, you know, for me, that's, that's not even a joke. I think I can actually blame Doc for getting me into this franchise because I was just about the right age when the Dream Warriors video came out and uh, you know, probably like 11 or something, and it was like that prime, you know, target demographic they were going for, you know, this preteen kids and, and, and heavy metal, and they, they tied it together. And, uh, and I wasn't allowed to see the films at that point, so I had to actually kind of like read the novelizations of the movies <laughs> and, uh, and, and subside on the, the docking single and whatnot to uh, get by on that. But that was my introduction to the series. I guess I want to let everyone talk about how they got sucked into that the franchise at first. I just want to relish the word single for a moment. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. You yes. kids today, you don't know. That cardboard sleeve with that cool art on it. Oh, love it. Uh, I saw the second movie first. Because uh, I, I don't honestly know if there's a horror franchise that I saw the first movie first. but uh, or, or at least not you know one of the older ones that I love. Uh, but the third movie is the one that made me fall in love with it because, and, and we'll get more into this, but it's because of the kids. Um, I remember uh, I was for so long scared of the idea of Freddy uh, before even seeing it. I remember I think my first exposure was probably the uh, Simpsons Halloween episode with the Christopher Willie. That's that probably my first exposure to it. Um, and then I remember a friend just had like me sit down and watch. I think from the first movie through at least like five or maybe Freddy's Day, I can't remember, but like the, I, we marathoned through those in like a night. I remember very distinctly. Um, I do remember three being the one that really stuck out along with the first one, obviously, but the three especially was like that perfect mix of what the franchise would ultimately kind of be known for. 
Well, I know as a as a filmmaker, um, uh, the first Nightmare on Elm Street actually influenced me being a horror filmmaker, um, and I saw that on on video, and I watched everything. And the third one was actually the first one I saw in the theater, and I remember it was one of those things where we went to school and we were all quoting Freddy. Uh, you know his clips he did in it. I mean, I was a huge Freddy fan. I, in fact, my mom was worried because I had a corner in my room that was dedicated to Freddy stuff. Like I had actually had a license plate that was N I T M A R E. I had a Freddy hanging from my rearview mirror. Um, I collected the only they used to they actually had candy containers that said "Shh, somebody's killing you," um, which I wonder why they stopped making that. Um, <laughs> Uh, the 80s. Yeah, the two graphic no- the graphic novels they came out with where parents stopped making it because it was, you know, a, a comic book about Freddy killing kids. Um, I don't know why your mother would be concerned about a shrine to a child murderer in your bed. But well, I know. It seems perfectly normal. <laughs> well, right? We all had that, right? Well, no, I, I wonder why I was single in high school now. But um, <laughs> uh, and, and to top it off, I, was in a, uh, I had a friend that had a haunted house, and I got to play Freddy. And I found out there was a girl in my high school that was scared of Freddy. And I told her to come out to the haunted house. I found out she was in this one group, and there was there was a part where they would tell a story and they, about Freddy. And at the end of it, the lights would go out, a strobe light would come on, and I would come in. And I went up to her with a knife. She stood up and fainted. They had to stop the uh, haunted house because of that. And I'm actually proud of the fact that made a woman faint <laughs> uh, out of horror, sheer horror. She didn't talk to me for about a month, but I guess I can understand why. So Freddie's always been a big part of my life. I always love the story because he's a killer that can get you to your most vulnerable point. And the third, I think, was the one that sort of was the entry point for most people because it was the one that was more for mass audiences because he turned more into the Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, you get to see more of the dream world of him creating scenarios and stuff. And I think that's what makes it probably one of the, one of the better ones for people to enjoy. Is that even working? Am I a jinx? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, that's one of the things that drew me into that as well is the dream world. We got a lot more of that. Um, I, I saw, you know, the first Nightmares, and Freddy's always in the theater, and Freddy's always been my favorite of those group. And this one, I really... Uh, the second one confused me. <laughs> um, and then, so the third one brought back Heather Camp, and I was happy about that. And it surprised me with uh, the kids. We'll get to those, right? And I don't know, just the whole thing just really came together in a fantastic way and I think the character evolved in this movie and became um, the pinnacle of what he would be before he became a parody of himself. I still don't think Is that not working either? I'm just dying. <laughs> We're getting picked off one by one. Yeah. <laughs> But, okay, so the quiz, okay, maybe we'll just talk about that, because I, I was re-watching the film the other night in preparation for this uh, this catastrophe that's going on right now. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I, we got to the welcome to prime time, bitch, part, and um, sure says bitch a lot, but uh, no, and I was thinking, like, that, that's where Scary Terry came from. Like that, that scene, oh, yeah. you know, that very scene. And, and I was, because it, it's so cartoonish. But um, but yeah, that, that's pretty close from this or anywhere else. Or or shall we just jump into the kids? Mm. 
Uh, let's go with the Freddy quips because I don't think using the phrase "jump into the kids" is something we should. Use. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're gonna have to start. Okay. My brain's Great. fried. All right. This is panel number twelve for me. Um, I, I've always, uh, aside from obviously primetime, bitch is a great one. Um, I, I do love the uh, "let's get high" um, yeah. with the with the syringes. I think that that's one of the better ones. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I always like when he's always like, you're back in the saddle again. <laughs> Something about the way he draws that out just always made me laugh. I, I, I'm going to pass. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much a quip, but uh, my... Uh, one of my favorite reveals, I guess, but my surprise, it's Freddy reveals in the whole franchise is uh, the nurse who is, it's it's time, we can't get too graphic, I guess, but you, you know what time it is and somebody's really excited about it and you've got your hot, sultry nurse, a, a very common, you know, fantasy scenario and we've, we've established and, and this is one of the things that I love about this one is it's got a great script because we establish these characters and we establish a lot of what happens, but then that horrifying, like, yeah, it's going to happen, and then the Freddy head comes up, and no, no! Well, and of course, we should mention, I think that's partially because we got Wes Craven back, and I think that's why the essential trilogy, I would still say, for this entire franchise, is the first one, Nightmare 3, and then New Nightmare, because Wes Craven's involved, and you see an evolution of that character, Uh, but also future Academy Award-nominated screenwriter Frank Darabont uh, is a credited writer as well. Yeah, one of the surprising names that shows up, you know, on August when Darabont being attached to it, and you know, and people like Lawrence Fishburne showing up, yes, yes, role like that, and Angelo Badalamenti of Twin Peaks fame gets the score for this movie, like right between Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks, basically. I love that Dream Warriors, you know, but a lot of people don't realize that his name pops up in the credits, you know. I, I didn't know it until I was like poking around looking at stuff for today. I didn't even know that. Yeah, and you, it's a great example of like a continuing score where he gets ch- um, was it it's, uh, Charles Bernstein was the guy who created yeah, the thing. Yeah, where you get like a lot of the that his original score from that first movie, but it does feel different. It does kind of have uh, weirder Twin Peaks vibes. And of course, another famous person we haven't mentioned is uh, Patricia Arquette, of course, yeah. Future Academy Award winner, um, really selling that character as well. Yeah. Well, Chuck Russell is also a great director. He's underappreciated. And, you know, did The Blob as well? Yeah, he did The Blob remake and also The Mask, um, Scorpion King, uh, as things go along. Um, and, and he also, interestingly, the same year, the same summer, I think, even as uh, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, did Dreamscape, which you see a lot of, like, stuff there, including a David Patrick Kelly's character at one point has knives on his hand and takes out a heart at someone's chest, which is very sort of early text for, I think, a lot of the punny stuff that you would get later on, because he says, like, what? come on, have a heart, and he has it there. You get a bit of that. Where's my green shot at? <laughs> I actually have one. It's terrible. Maybe I'll bring it up. Um, so, the, the Dream Warriors storyline, uh, the, there's a story that, that goes that the original intention of it, from uh, Craven's point of view, was to have these these kids in various places, not in the same hospital, but in various places. And obviously, they changed this by the time we got to the real uh, final version of the movie. But they were going to be drawn in together through their dreams only, and they weren't in like therapy session. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. I would have liked to actually have seen that happen 
in the film. But um, so, so they they each end up with these dream powers, obviously. Uh, anything from uh, being you know super strong or being able to do cartwheels or seduce the nurse down the hallway. Your your favorite dream warriors? Uh, notes about those, or what would your dream power be? Well, my favorite of the group is a person, Kincaid. Yeah, I love Kincaid because he's so boisterous and over the top, and he does he has that confidence about like he's going up against a you know a, essentially a dream god who's out to kill him, and he doesn't care. He's fully on board with fighting him. He's so like it's infectious, really, that enthusiasm that he has. Uh, he's my personal favorite. He's um, really great. What about another one, guys? <laughs> well, I'll, jump, I'll jump in. Jennifer Rubin as Taryn. I always liked her. And when I, with the quotes, I was actually going to do her quote, and that's why I stalled, but, you know, I'm beautiful. And I always liked that moment when she did that, turned around, had the hawk going on. Um, and she was one of the more tragic characters. Yeah, I'm on board with, with Taryn. She's. I felt like she was. She almost feels sacrificial because she really doesn't even get her shot at Freddy totally. It doesn't feel like like she gets a cool scene with the Mohawk, you know, looking badass, but she doesn't get much of a fight in. But I think that does make her death probably the most tragic of all of them. Because yeah. Especially if someone dealing with, you know, drug withdrawal. Oh, yeah. Being absolutely. killed that way. It's, it's honestly really upsetting. And that's the thing that I think, because I guess in terms of the franchise, we mentioned, like, this is after the first one, huge success. Two had obviously did a lot of different things. I think it's unfairly maligned in a lot of ways, especially looking back at it and sort of like the LGBT subtext that's there is really interesting now. Um, but it definitely wasn't what audiences wanted. And this was kind of like the perfect balance of that. Um, and I think uh, with that, you, you, you sort of get um, the, I think I lost my train of thought. Damn. It's, it's Sunday afternoon. It's, yeah, yeah, I get you. We're all falling apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I do think like that's it's, it's a key thing that why I think um, yeah later on as we kept going with these other movies and these other victims they're only really set up to be killed and there's no real character to them. You believe yeah. these kids are like suffering through stuff as opposed to later on it's like oh you like working out well you're gonna die working <laughs> out. <laughs> that's literally every that's it. <laughs> I. The reason the kids are so effective to me, and, and I say they're the reason I love this movie, is like we've been talking about, they took the time to develop these characters, but when I was younger, uh, I, I couldn't watch this stuff at home. My parents, horror and wrestling were both verboten in the household. <laughs> so I had a buddy, Wayne, who we'd go have sleepover parties at his house and that's where I saw Aliens and Robocop and Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and all the Friday the 13th like and we we had our our crew that would go to Wayne's spend you know Saturday night over there and just watch we didn't even sleep we just watched movies all night because his parents uh, just it, they I mean they were great parents it's not like they were like here's a carton of cigarettes in the blockbuster card you guys do whatever you want but uh we so we had our own group, so it was one of those situations where like, oh, we've got this group of kids, and we're a group of kids, and this is it, it made it a little more real and it made it a little more relatable than just sort of the the one kid at a time 
uh, model that, that we'd seen by then because they're they're in this place that's supposed to be safe. They're they're in a place that for their own good they're in this hospital being taken care of or institution, uh, and and they're not safe. And none of the grown-ups understand that. It's it's that it's such a great tool that horror movies use is that the grown-ups don't believe it. And when you're a kid, that's that's a powerful message to get. Like if if, if anything horrible happens, your parents aren't going to believe it. Or they're not going to be able to understand it, or they're not going to see that boogeyman jumping out of the closet, or whatever the case may be. So that that was that's why I love the kids so much, is they were such a great way to bring us at that age into the movie. Well, that then I think you just you really feel um, that they're hurting and they're trying to cope with things. You know, whether it's the girl with the cigarettes burning herself, and mm. just watching that. There's people that do that, that cut themselves and do this type of things, and you're like, wow, they're really they're willing to to scar themselves just so they don't have to deal with this. Or like the 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 intern guy that comes up to Taryn. It's like, hey, I can get you some drugs or whatever, you know. And yeah. so, you know, these people are supposed to be helping her, and they're not, you know. And they're they're actually creating opportunities for her to go back to the life she had before, or the you know the guys that slits his wrists, you know. I mean, there's all these different things that Freddie's, you know, and he plays into that too, you know. Like I always hate the thing when when Freddie's does a thing to Taryn, and you see the little track marks. Oh God, yeah. I can't. I can't. That just uh, looks like little suckers. It's like, oh, stop, stop, don't do that. Uh, and so, just the how he sort of like plays into their fears majorly. To where you know, no wonder these kids are messed up. And Freddie just messes them up even more. Um, and I think that's what I like about it is because before Freddie was just like into just doing nightmare stuff, but here he's really playing into your the psychological stuff, you know. And there's stuff that even there's the humor. There's also scary stuff. I mean that part where Patricia Ar- Arquette's mother, when he cuts her head off and brings it in, and she's talking, that's some nightmare stuff when you're a young yeah. kid. It's like, oh man, I can imagine like what you know somebody doing that to one of my parents. So yeah, there's so many great. Uh, visual things that they they do in this film that just shows like wow you really you really feel for the kids because I think the 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 rest of the movies they they become more stock characters and you don't really care about as much but these you care about all the different kids yeah and I think definitely that scene you're talking about with the head of the mom it also feeds into like the kind of dark comedy as well that this whole time like you're seeing yeah. the, the the severed head it's like you always ruin it when I bring a man back into the house <laughs> it's, a, it's a great example of like really using the characters issues to actually feed into the jokes that happen which is you know it's a lot more interesting than I don't know say kid likes video games and like don't forget the power glove <laughs> like well I don't know I kind of I gotta go with the power glove on that one I, I like look I like I've, I've seen the wizard so bad I get it <laughs> <laughs> Well, other visuals like the marionette. Oh, the marionette. Yeah, yeah. that's the one. That's that probably the worst. Upsets me oh, tremendously. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But hopefully, everybody's visited the puppetry track this weekend. <laughs> well, you know, we, we we talked about this when we did the '80s episode about it, but this is some of the best stop motion I think I've seen, especially just the way it's integrated. Like not just there was the little Freddy puppet, which is great, but even later when you get the uh, skeleton, it, it rivals. Oh, yeah. Harry has at certain points like he's the, the skeleton is shoveling dirt into <laughs> that dude's face. It's like I believe that that dude's getting dirt shoved in his face by a skeleton. <laughs> and then you know Neka's putting out a prop replica of the marionette Freddy. Oh, that's oh, nice. yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bring that home and set it by your bed. <laughs> 
I can feel my <laughs> money leaving my wallet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, building on what you were saying earlier, that that primal childhood bond need that I think that, that the dream warriors pull together and everyone can relate to, and I think it's why uh, something like Stranger Things works mm-hmm. when you're watching that. It's not, I mean, you're not eight years old anymore or whatever, but you still feel like that kid in a lot of ways, and I think that's why the sort of premise works, because, or something like Stand By Me or anything like that, that the band of kids doing what the parents won't do, what they won't acknowledge, and I think that's one of the reasons that this film works, as opposed to maybe some of the others don't. Um, well, well, yeah, especially we, uh, the, the gentleman flanking me and myself, did a panel about uh, 1987 in horror, and that had two of a big examples of that with The Gate and Monster Squad. It's something that really resonates with a lot of people. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's also about that the adults won't listen to them. And that's something everybody can relate to as well. Is, you know, they, they know Freddie. They know Freddie. They've all shared it. But everybody else thinks that, you know, that's just a dream. We're going to give you some drugs to go to sleep. What? No, don't do that. But I think, I think uh, this movie shows how horror has changed over the years. Because in this film, you have all the kids are likable to some degree. Most of your new horror films, if it's a group of kids, they're all like sarcastic, and and, and there's most of them you hate, and so you're not you don't really care if they get killed. Or <laughs> so. or in the case of say like the Nightmare remake, they're like comatose the whole time, which is a yeah. shame when you got like you have freaking Rooney Mara and you yeah. don't use her at all. I, I don't understand with the talent involved in that movie. I don't understand how that movie failed so hard. I know. Well, it didn't even fail. It was just pointless. Yeah. It's like it, why why did well, they do this? And it's because we we talked about the whole like dream world aesthetic and that's like Freddy is always tr- like the, the whole Nightmare franchise is such a tug and pull for me where I love that idea of being able to like really manipulate the world around you and I, I think with especially that one I just use the boiler room so much and that's so dull yeah. that's so pointless as was honestly I think the best sort of Nightmare on Elm Street style sequence I've seen in years has been in the uh, Arkham Video games oh, with yes. the scarecrow. Yeah. I honestly like. I would love a Dude. Nightmare on Elm Street video game based around those scarecrow levels. That, uh, you know, I'm an old man now. Not much actually scares me anymore. But playing those levels was intense. I mean, I, I, I was. I mean, it sucked you in, and, and you're right. It's totally <laughs> just that that dreamscape feel, like Freddy. And I, and uh, oddly, I didn't pick that up until you just pointed it out. <laughs> it was a total Freddy Krueger thing. Even with the boy, I missed well, that. Well, well even because it's not even like the platforming stuff is there, but even like I love how those games really integrate you in where like you're walking down the hallway and you see like, oh, there's Bruce, like the, the rose that he would put down in the alleyway there, the parents' bodies, yeah. all that other yeah, stuff. Yeah. And I think that's something that if they ever, they, they keep saying they're going to do another Nightmare on Elm Street, they, they need to do stuff like that, I think, to really modernize it in a cool it, way. It's got to be out there. Yeah. When you've got stuff like Inception, you know, just make Inception, but it's a horror movie. <laughs> Leo versus Freddy. We need it, guys. Well, maybe. Let's not go that far. <laughs> oh, I don't know, though. That could be good. Well, yeah. Could be good. But I don't know. Even uh, Leo kind of had shades of Freddy with some, like, Django Unchained. There are points I can kind of see, like, a Freddy persona yeah, coming yeah. out of him. Yeah, yeah. Sinister. Mental images. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're, we're operating kind of on the assumption that, you know, 3 is the, the cult classic and the fan favorite, but... Uh, it, how many people is that true for that three is is the, the best one? And who would like to defend another one? <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Freddie Jason. 
I, 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 yeah. I like one and one, of course, too. I have, I have a more specific uh, dare for anybody. Defend Freddy's dead. Who wants to do that? Come on. Who wants to come up here and defend Freddy's dead? The best thing about Freddy's dead is the credits. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I get applause from me every time. That's true. Yeah, you get death back in that cameo. Yes. Um, I, they're, but they're none. Uh, you know, I, I would have to sit. There, I, I would have to refresh on all of them. I could defend any of them. I could sit. I'd have to have preparation, but I could sit down and defend any of them on a panel, except maybe Freddy's. Yeah. I, I think there are aspects that come up later. Like even I think uh, the fifth one is the one that's where she's dealing with like the child, child the issue and all that. Yeah. So that's interesting, and it has I think one of the underrated ones with the uh, comic book. Freddy kill thing. Yeah, that's actually that's a pretty fun sequence. But I don't think nearly as many of them come together as well as probably the first and third one. Really, in terms of like coalescing the vision and all the characters that we're mentioning, just really balancing everything out so well. Yeah, as far as the storytelling goes, and as far as the horror of what Freddy represents, uh, the third I think accomplishes what it's trying to accomplish in the best possible way because it's it's a very visual fast paced exciting movie that you can sit down and not think about but it has everything there excellent performances a very well done story that that's compelling that you can sit in and and there's more to it than just you know this kid Hates the bathroom. He's gonna get killed by a toilet. Stay <laughs> 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 puffed marshmallow man effect. It's like, don't, don't think about it. That's how we're gonna kill you. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have a question here? No, it wasn't a question. I was in the defend dream master. Uh, I mean, I think every all the way up until the ending, it's kind of one of the first times we have a character be a formidable, um, ad, you know, adversary yeah. to Freddy. Um, yeah. So I really like Dream Master in that way, and the, the compilation or the amalgamation of her powers being that from like her dead friends, I thought gave it a real right. That opening is heartbreaking. I mean, obviously, I mean, just just to see that we lose everyone, all these characters that we love. No, King Kate. Kate. Not, right. I know. Kincaid. Come on. Yeah, I think. I think there are aspects of Dream... I think Dream Master is probably the most uh, of, like, the pop culture image of Freddy. When you go back to it, like, whenever I think of, like, sort of the pop culture over-merchandise version of Freddy, I think of, what was it, when he's on the beach? On the beach. He's got the sunglasses. That is the most, just, like, I I see that as, like, that's the cardboard cutout in the grocery store. But I still love it. You kind of see it. I still love it, though. There are are fun kind of candy-colored moments there, but I, I don't think, like, some of those themes you're talking about, I don't think really come together nearly as well as they do I think when you have it in like like I said the essential trilogy Nightmare 3 and then uh, New Nightmare I think really are the most cohesive visions I think what sets Nightmare on Long Street apart from the other 80s slasher franchises is how creative it gets it has that fantasy element and Dream Warriors I think does it best but my favorite individual like Freddy Kill is from with the roach arms. Yeah, um, that's a good one. You know, Jason is always just killing teenagers. 
um, Michael's killing babysitters, but Freddy, you know, you get, it's not just going to be him stabbing somebody every time. And that's really unique. Yeah, they, I mean, they've got such a bigger tapestry to play with because it, it is, they can do anything. They can literally do anything. Uh, and they're not limited by, well, how many different kinds of hatchets are there? How, how many different angles can we get of the boiler room, guys? <laughs> like, maybe one angle here, one angle there. That's what's so, once again, just disappointing about that remake, especially when you consider, like, if you're going to replace Robert Englund, Jackie oh, Earl Haley's a... Jackie, Jackie Earl Haley isn't a bad choice. Yeah. They just didn't do anything with her. No. No, that, it's, it's almost like... Because I can see him really chew scenery and plenty of things. Uh, just look, look at Preacher. Mm-hmm. Look at how great he was in Preacher. And we didn't see any of that from his Freddy. It's almost like they said, we want you to play Freddy, but really subtle and low-key. <laughs> and there's only, there's only one time that kind of worked for me, and there's the point when he's stalking Rene Mary and he says, you smell different. That's like the one time. And they just they don't... Because like they want to try and have that thing where because Freddy's been a child murderer for so long and they tried to bring in like yeah, the molester element that either. and it's like I, I wouldn't mind that if you actually made it less of a bait and switch that they did like with that remake where it's just like oh it is it isn't it is it isn't and then it is yeah, yeah that was I, I, I had a big issue with that plus, plus they took away the stylistic form of Freddy and they made it more of a burn victim trying to make it more realistic and it it doesn't work you, you know it's, yeah I mean because. Yeah, yeah, and and it's like it's almost like you're you're saying burn victims are scary, you know. It's like mm-hmm. so I think I think taking away the stylistic choice of how they created him to where it's not like a regular person who's been burned, I think that took away from it. It almost felt like I'm not sure how what to think about this villain. Right. Well, it was really weird because it was almost like they were trying to make him more horrifying by by explicitly stating the child molester aspect, but also more sympathetic at the same time. Yeah, and like it was really yeah. like, wait a minute, guys, you can't yeah. you can't you can't do that. You can't no. do that with that character. You you have to. I mean, you you can still like him like Hannibal Lecter where you love to hate him but you can't make him to where you're sympathetic because then it's like oh it's kind of yeah I, I, you know so that, that's a character you have to sort of draw a line and say let's just make him what he is and let's not try to add this extra layer to his character if anything I would recommend if you guys haven't seen it especially considering the recent passing of Toby Hooper the first episode of uh, Freddy's Nightmares where they go where they reveal uh, where they show the origin story a bit. Um, it's it's really well done. It's like a solid um, uh, hour of television, and it's uh, it's probably the best um, non Wes Craven involved uh, Freddy thing, I would say. Well, one of the, one of the things that they they didn't get right in the re, in the remake that this um, three really gets right is the atmosphere, the locations. You know how 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 big of a presence the house was. Yes. Big, uh, in the, in the entire thing and. Uh, that always worked the best for me in this particular film. Right, because Freddy is a, a kind of like Jason also has this, um, and even Michael Myers is that sort of neighborhood rumor thing, like, oh, you ever heard about old man Kruger who lived down there on Elm Street and did all these things, and the house is so integral, especially in like the first movie and the second movie kind of try to do that. But then the third one, I think, probably did the best job, especially like that opening where it's that very great nightmare sequence of going up to the house and the girls are doing the jump rope and all that, but it's, it's taking the iconography from the first movie and using it a bit differently. It's what you need to do for a sequel, which is like, here's a bit of what you know and something added onto it that really changes the context in a cool way. But I think the the use of the house in the third movie was lent more weight 
by the second movie because in the second movie you kind of got the well that's the house across the street some weird stuff happened over there and it's it's a spooky house but it's it's not you know necessarily known she and then they find the diary and it kind of reveals it but by three the audience we know we know that house the second we see it so it has the weight at that point to be this the paper i mean that opening yeah. Right, yeah. with the paper mache and the. Though so I think yeah. it would have been even more integrated if we somehow had somebody do that same tennis racket dance sequence from two. <laughs> We'd have somebody I mean, integrate that into that every should, one of these. That should be in every movie, honestly. Exactly. <laughs> what is the song? I can't. What is the song? I, I was like, hold right now. me crazy, like something like that. I don't remember what it's yeah, called. Yeah, but it was an actual like big pop song, which kind of surprises me every time I hear it. I'm like, all right, mm. that happened in the '80s. Yeah. The remake also didn't make me feel anything for Nancy. I didn't, I didn't care if she lived or died. No, for any of the characters. Really, they're all just flat. Nobody cares. Though, though I will, I will say that um, I like Patricia Arquette as the final girl more than I like Nancy. And I think it had to do more with. I hate to say it, but I feel like that her character as an actress, I think she's the weakest link in the cast. Um, to, for me, I, I mean, I don't know. It might be different for other people, yeah. but I liked I liked everybody else in it. I, I felt like that you could sort of see that, you know, because I think Nightmare on Elm Street was like one of her first main roles. She was pretty green, yeah, um, and she yeah. could sort of play that as the kid. But as an adult, I, I I had a little bit of problems with her character. I do kind of agree with that. Yeah, Heather Leggenkamp still kind of feels like a teenager, mm-hmm. um, which worked for the first movie and then the third movie. It's all right, but it's definitely kind of, especially when you have stuff like uh, John Saxon mm-hmm. being involved here and here. And it, I, it's a great, I think, underrated performance of John Saxon, just like him being like a reclusive drunk of sorts after what happened before. I, I, especially the scene where it's like it's her love interest uh, trying to convince John Saxon to come over. It's like, why wouldn't you have Heather like, can't do this? Because it, it means a bit more when it happens to that. But then again, that uh, I forgot the main actor who played that love interest. But uh, Greg Watson. Yeah, yes, thank you. Uh, he did a really uh, good job of trying to convince him over. And also looks a lot like a young Bill Maher. Yeah. <laughs> like Circa House 2 era of Bill Maher. <laughs> I thought about that. Boy, did Nancy screw up his life, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I saw it was funny in the end where, uh, or towards the end, where they knock him into the grave and throws like a couple of scoops of earth on him. like, I'll be good enough. You know, like, and he just like, you could have killed him right there. Like, anyway, not to get into plot holes, but we could talk about plot holes. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's because if you look at like where Freddy's playing the video game, going to like kill that kid, I think it's way more comedic than watching them go through the dreams. Like, oh yeah, I mean I it's a cartoon. Is, uh, I think it's a better movie, but from a comedic standpoint, I think that was probably the funniest Freddy movie. Well, yeah, they, they, it definitely is a cartoon. It's it's very. Farcical at the top. There's literally a point where Freddy has like the bed of needles that he's thrown out like he's Bugs Bunny. Yeah, that, like it, it definitely is aiming to be more comedic. It's, uh, it's one with Tom and Roseanne. Yeah, yeah and Tom, uh, yeah, Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr show up there as well. In like one of the most painful cameos ever. Oh, yeah. 
It does have a good kill, though. I have to say that you're, uh, you're oh, like, God. humping the chalkboard, oh, like... Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. The <laughs> pulsating. That's, oh, yeah, yeah, it's actually pretty good. There's always, yeah, with a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, there's always, like, one memorable kill. But what's great about Nightmare 3 is that any of these kills would be, like, the standout kill in another Nightmare yeah, movie. absolutely. Yeah. That's what works so well. Is I can't name, like, a really weak one amongst them. No. Because, yeah, you've got, like, we've mentioned, uh, like, the drug one or um, certain other ones. Even, um, like, the, the snake, which is not a kill, but, like, just the, the, the use of that snake is so well done as well. Or uh, or not even the kill, but the nurse thing, you know, where the, the, the bottom of the bed goes away and yeah. she, like, shoots tongues at yeah. it. It's like, oh, my gosh. I don't know if yeah. kill, though. Huh? I don't believe in magic, kid. Oh, you don't like oh, the will kill? Well, yes. you're saying that at Dragon, dude. <laughs> you, got, you got to be for the D and D guy, right? <laughs> well, I will say that he's probably a little bit of weak, but uh, although you think he's a wizard, he could probably do anything, you yeah. know. And all he does is like he's got—he's basically the emperor from Empire Strikes Back, you know, to shoot electricity out his hands. Well, in, in the world in which Nightmare on Elm Street takes place, it's Dungeon Masters do have love. Well, well, no, it's it's the, it's the offshoot game uh, Dragons and Dungeons. There you I go. believe, yes, yeah. Yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Where, where the rules are t- entirely different. Um, but I, I think you had a question. Up here yeah, in the second yeah. row. Really, just a comment. Um, I think part three for me set the rules for Freddy the best. I mean, we we got kind of a better scope of what he could do, how how to defeat him. Um, you had the, you know, the, the uh, Catholic symbolism with the uh, right. with, with uh, the nun and the backstory. You know, the son of a thousand maniacs. Um, the house was a character in the movie. I think more than any of anything else. You know, I just I appreciated that, and, and you know, and, and from that point on, it was just elaborating on that. But why did Freddy kill the kids? Oh, well, he was getting power from them. He was stealing their souls. We learned that in part three. Right, and that, that that's the thing is this one definitely is the one that set the template that all the other ones would follow from. Like, you get a bit of the urtext of it with, like, the first and second movie, but this one especially gives you the formula that they would later follow, and even stuff like that you mentioned, they totally ripped that off for the Soul Pizza in 4. Like, it's literally, I'm sure they use the exact same thing for, like, effects work, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, this goes back to the, uh, the remake question is it is it necessarily the the approach or is it just generally a mistake to try to remake this because or to remake you know nightmare on elm street we saw the same thing happen with friday the 13th where they tried to remake it and it it is well i i think it's more problem like because with friday the 13th halloween all these other things someone mentioned it but it was just like there's so much more creative potential here i suppose there's so many ways you can use a machete on a you know person they've they've done a lot i give credit for that in those other (laughs) series uh they've they've really stretched the creativity there but i think with nightmare that one is so palpable that i would like to see like a modern version of it um i just I, i think it definitely just comes from what we're mentioning where you have to care about the kids and you have to really define who your Freddy is. Um, and I guess there's also a question of like who else would we want to see potentially play a Freddy? Because England said he's not going to do it uh, anymore, which is a shame. But how do you feel about it? 
Well, that's that's the big question. I mean, because if you think about it, you can replace Jason, mm-hmm. you can replace Michael Myers. They did multiple times. They don't over. really have a, a personality, but yet when they replace like Pinhead with the the chunkier dude, uh, it, it, it looked like he had too many burgers or something. It's like I don't I don't understand. So you have to get somebody who's gonna, so you're definitely going to have to do it a little bit different. I think you can de- with the technology we have today, they can do some amazing stuff. Like you look at Inception or those type of things, the technology of creating the dream world and creating these scenarios where we go straight into it. Or even look at uh, Stranger Things does that too with the upside down world. Um, they could have so much fun with that. But yeah, you would definitely have to, first of all, get a good, an actor who could really ham it up and create his own version of that. So sort of like, 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 uh, like uh, Hannibal Lecter. You know, I never thought anybody could play Hannibal Lecter other than Anthony Hopkins. But Mads Mikkelsen does a really great job of creating his own version. Let's of get Hannibal him for Freddy. Oh Mads. shit! Oh, let's do that <laughs> right now. Somebody get on let's that. Make Some, it happen. Somebody call Mads. Uh, but yeah, I think. I mean, you gotta. I mean, I don't know. His his accent may get in the way. Welcome to prime time. He can be Friedrich. Friedrich Kruger. Friedrich Kruger. Well, that, that's probably a good question to the people well, here. Who do you think would be a good Freddy Krueger? Bill Hader. <laughs> I mean, you know, for like the, the the funny version of Freddy, that's not a terrible choice. But uh, yeah, you know, in the back. I, I've always thought three cared about the kids, and it was because they were vulnerable. And you do lose that a reboot. I say, look at what's happening with the new kid and Stranger Things. Chop five years off their age. He's got to go after younger kids. Will be more invested. Will be a scarier story. It always seems like they got older and older, and I just—that's a good point. Yeah, and I think, (laughs) and and to the degree of like an it, uh, I would also say we haven't seen uh, it. Obviously, hasn't come out yet as of when we're doing this. But yeah, you you get somebody like a Skarsgård, Bill Skarsgård, who no one knows. You really, I think, because like I I joked about Leo earlier, but that would just be incredibly distracting. You got to get somebody who no one could like out of left field who could really do something interesting with it. But the front row. Um, I always felt like. Johnny Depp would be a good Freddy mm. because he started out as Glenn in the original. Right. And it would be, I, I think it would be good to see him come forward and see him as Freddy himself. I would have said if you had done it in the 90s. I don't think I want to see Johnny Depp now. <laughs> That's Freddy. Tim Burton's Nightmare on uh, <laughs> Black and white spirals, y'all, all over. The dream world would be very interesting. Uh, yeah, behind her, right there. Yes. I just want to say this because I don't know when I'm going to be in a room full of people who will get it. My brother died very suddenly seven years ago. It was traumatic. My first holiday season without my brother, I watched all of the Nightmare on Elm Street series on a loop. I couldn't deal with anything else anybody else and I swear it helped me get to the next oh, thing. Oh, that's awesome. That's nice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you over there? Yeah, back to your point about the remakes with all the new technology. So we have all this new great technology. Why do you think all these crappy remakes fall flat? I hated the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Mm. Well, a lot of it has to do with Let's see if we can do a better version of what happened in the original. Well, okay? it's also stuck in the origin story. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, the origin story as well, but like the practical effects in the original work better, you know, with with them coming through the ceiling or or, or any of those type of things. What they need to do is just create their own scenarios that work on their own, as opposed to just 
going through and aping those scenes that are so iconic that you're always going to compare it to it. It's not going to be the same. It's not going to be as good. I, and I, I, I think that's probably one of the one of the the problems with the the, the the remake that came out. I think it's some it's something that they tapped into with the Freddy versus Jason, but it was I, I hope they kind of go back to something like uh, if you don't know, Peter Jackson was hired to try and do a version of Freddy's Dead, mm-hmm. and his concept sounded so fascinating that he was just like Freddy's being you know his usual Freddy self, and it like when kids encounter him, they laugh at him. They think it's hysterical. It's just like oh, you're a joke now. There's no point. That's, I think, how you really need to do it, is you have to sort of establish in this new universe that Freddy is, you know, something that's been around, but people are like, oh, it's a joke. And even when you're in the nightmare world, it's just like, oh, it's, it's just Freddy Krueger. Look, it's funny. It's the guy's got the claw and all this other stuff. I think for the reinvention, you really need to kind of, I think, play into the fact that, yeah, we know Freddy's kind of a joke at this point. But at the same time, you need to do something, you know, where you show off how intimidating he is. Um, Front row. Um, you mentioned something about the iconic um, scenes, them trying to recreate it. They did well with that in um, New Nightmare with Tina's death. Right. Um, oh, when yeah. they yeah. killed, um, can't remember her name now. But they, yeah, the babysitter, yeah. Yeah, when they killed the babysitter and she was in the ceiling and it, it just recreated that. And it, that's why I think that works so well. Oh, yeah, even, yeah, New Nightmare is, uh, I just realized New Nightmare just pretty much what I was just stating. Yeah. A lot of it, yeah, is that they, they sort of have, you know, Robert England as Freddy just playing up a joke, like, on the talk show and stuff like that, and then you see Freddy later on, he's this, like, ancient demonic being that has familiar iconography, but, like, the makeup's different, all this other stuff. I think you really need to tap into that. I think there are two major problems with Hollywood remaking or rebooting anything right now and I'm not inherently against remakes reboots or anything like that I think uh, a, a good good characters and a good story is great I don't care if you're using something that's already been done if you do a good job with it I want to see it uh, the problem is Hollywood takes they make a remake because they're like here's this thing that was popular it has name value so we want to keep making money with it and then instead of saying, let's come up with a fresh take or a new idea or something interesting, they say, what else is popular right now and how can we make this existing thing like these other things that people already like, as opposed to trying to do anything original? Like they're doubling down on the, the, the like, not make, being original. Make sure to like, follow Freddy on Snapchat. Add Freddy Krueger. Hashtag Freddy. They need to bring back more of the uh, iconic visuals that imply the horror. Like in the in threes, you know, you get this tricycle with the you know the blood trails, and you get part, uh, Patricia Arquette running around with the dead baby child thing. Uh, Need more of that, or, or the body bag in the first one. Oh, yes, yeah, the body bag. Yeah, yeah. down the hallway. That's one of my favorite images of all time. I think that that's a fantastic point. There are a lot of moments where nothing happens, but it's scary. Right. Well, like the the yeah, the, mel- the melting tricycle. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just I, and the whole time as a filmmaker, I'm like, how do they do that to where it looks so realistic? At the same time, this is creepy, you know. There's there doesn't need to be a child on that to sort of like feel like oh yeah, wow. nobody gets hurt, but it's still a really you know a disorienting and strange, creepy scene. Mm-hmm. And then you're right. In later films, they kind of get away from that a little bit, and it turned into just murder, murder, murder. 
Murder, murder, Which is, I mean, that's fine too. Don't get me wrong. It's a horrible Muppet character. Murder, murder, murder. It's also the we're dealing with the. Uh, we're, I guess we're still in the age of the gritty reboot, quote unquote, thing. Um, and that, if you're dealing with something that's already kind of gritty, uh, it can get a little redundant. They can end up overexposing it. And I think that was one of the the, the shortcomings of, of the Halloween remake. They kind of over explained. You know, and, and with the Nightmare remake too, they maybe maybe didn't need to shine a whole bright spotlight on exactly how this came to be or that kind of thing. It loses some imagination. There's also an, uh, something that Derek back there will probably maybe might have been on about this sort of loose embarrassment of, of the current age of dealing with horror. It's kind of like maybe horror is beneath me, but we'll just it'll be more suspense and more serious and you know. Yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah, because it would be like you know, you know, somebody's cell phone and the tongue coming out of the cell phone. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you can see how they try to. I mean, I think it might be interesting if they actually just go back in time and retell the story in an earlier time period. You know, that might be an interesting way to where you have kids that are much more susceptible um, to things and much more you know uh, gullible. Um, that that might be an interesting way to take it if they want to tell a different type of story. No, Freddy in space. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What about what about Freddie and the Internet? Freddie app. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be, to be fair, Freddie would be on like message boards and such, just like, oh, these trolls are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you people are worse than I am. <laughs> Freddie on Tinder. <laughs> well, well, if they tell a story where there's like no kids will live in Elm Street, maybe he has to venture out through the internet uh, and get get children to come to you know like like child predators basically, or, or even if like that, or even like the Elm Street is like uh, almost gets like gentrified, <laughs> like you're, like you're just like trendy people. Oh just, man, like you get trendy like oh this is this is the nightmare house and then we've turned it into a trendy coffee spot. Yeah. <laughs> No, seriously, that, I, I actually like that idea a lot because that, that touches on some sensitive stuff right now. Well, yeah, or, or you know, just the the people that are just uh, into like serial killers and murderers and that kind of thing. To where the yeah, I mean, where you could just you have people who worship his character, you know. Well, especially considering, yeah. especially considering Wes Craven's original like germ of the idea came from hearing about kids who like were genuinely afraid to sleep and then like were like trying to keep themselves awake and then would like die the next day yeah stuff like that i think you can pick some real world things that freddie can kind of you know integrate himself into less power glove but maybe more you know social issues i think freddie can kind of work with <coughs> what i always thought was a kind of like a lost opportunity was uh freddie being like the son of so many maniacs um, uh, where folks might have been put away because of like mental stuff going on um, is we see his daughter's pretty well established but we don't do anything with her right? Mm-hmm. to do a story for her or her potential child if she, if she has one um, where the lineage doesn't have to continue with Freddie in this case but more so like um, uh, whatever psychoticness that he was when in his living life kind of continue on um, in a family of, of uh, beyond Freddy, like a female Kruger. Sure, that, yeah, that would be an interesting, t- you know, where she starts, you know, mentally breaking down and starting to sort of have these, you know, uh, 
thoughts of wanting to kill people or whatever, you know, and maybe has her own nightmares involving or his daughter, dreams. His daughter has a son that is exhibiting a lot of very problematic um, things. And maybe yeah. you could even get a Robert England voiceover <laughs> for for the you know you, you never see him but you you get the the voices which is something they even did with that uh, Freddy's nightmares thing I said is that they they, they don't never show Freddy head on in that uh, in his original non burn state um, and it's just kind of like having him in the shadows kind of voiceover stuff I well I know Robert Engel has said he'd love to come on as like the doctor character like in Dream Warriors three if he came on as a doctor character maybe dealing with the daughter of Freddy Krueger I think that might be kind of an interesting kind of like his cameo window something that I think would shock the movie theater like if something wasn't marketing marketed as a Freddy film right and then you almost I was just thinking that like uh, what's it split Um, the unbreakable reveal where it's like it comes Ah. in three quarters of the way and you hear Robert England's voice as Freddy to discover what's happening daughter's character or you know grandson or would be great. Or Hollywood's sitting there right now thinking the kid's like Prometheus, right? That backdoor <laughs> thing. Make it happen. Or, or, or it could be one of those things to where you know she gets killed by people who like do maybe a group of guys or whatever and then she ends up just changing up the the people that they kill. So maybe she just kills, you know. But yeah, you mentioned the split thing. Eyes. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the split thing, and I think that's another route they can obviously go down. Is just like do a Blumhouse, like scrappy, not huge budgeted movie, well, and just have somebody who can create like weird, innovative like kills and stuff like that. I mean, even like that's even a bigger question. It's more than Freddy. Like, who would you want to direct? Another Freddy movie. James Wan. Uh-huh. James yeah, Wan's a great one. Yeah. James Wan's good. a really good choice. Um, or even. If you can get Peter Jackson going back to like bad taste or like some of his earlier movies, what? he could get really creative. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't David Sandberg say he wanted to do one? The guy that did. Right, the guy who did Lights Out recently and Annabelle Creation uh, said he wanted to do it, which he wouldn't be a bad choice, he honestly. Because even, like, I have issues with Lights Out, but I think Lights Out, like, the best thing is that creature character and how, like, we saw all the creative ways that people would, like, be lifted up and, like, fall on the ground, all this other stuff. Um, I think, uh, what's his name who directed, uh, he's directed the movie Mother and Requiem for a Dream? Aronofsky's? Um, because he, he has that sort of sensibility of showing, I mean, even he had the, the drug abuse thing of the, the Requiem for a Dream. What, what, what? Or, or, uh, Black Swan. Yeah. Right. Um, where he, he shows these sort of like, these, these almost nightmare sequences. I would love to see his take, because I think he actually make, would make, Pretty scary again. Well, especially considering like when you hear about what he wanted to do with Batman when he was going to do yeah, that, yeah. and how it's going to be like Batman's like a weird hobo, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> it's like going around trying to stop crime. It's like I, if anything, like it might not work entirely, but I would just love to see, especially with some of the visuals and stuff like the fountain. Yeah, like the fountain is some of the most amazing underrated visuals that I could see him really flourishing with within that. Like, we got enough Nightmare Three. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I just want to throw this out there, Fede, Fede Alvarez. I can't. I don't know how to pronounce his first name. Oh, but the, the guy who directed the Evil Dead yeah, remake. Yeah. Uh, you know, that had some tremendous visuals and some horrific stuff. I'd be interested mm-hmm. to see his take. Definitely. That's had this ridiculous mental image of David Lynch his Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, like Freddy wandering into the Black Lodge. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, that one dude who, um, that one did not be a bad choice. The guy in the new Twin Peaks, the gotta like guy. Uh, from the new Twin Peaks is not a bad choice either for a Freddy. I think I saw one wandering around. Yeah, I did, and it creeped me the hell out. Yeah. <laughs> God light. Uh, my, my co-host was Dougie Jones last night. Sexy Dougie Jones. Mm-hmm. 
if, if you ever thought that could be a thing. <laughs> hey, uh, I was just wondering if you guys have any thoughts on the difference between the narrative of a horror where the victims are sort of like helpless or unsuspecting versus when they have some agency and uh, ability to fight back, if, if that's sort of more exciting and part of why that movie was was more interesting than some of the earlier ones, or I, I don't know, just that topic that's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, when they have a chance, it gets more exciting. You know, because they're not just going to be slaughtered. They're going to put up a fight. So there's a little more back and forth about it. And then Freddie might get a little ding. And that's always good, too, right? Yeah. So I'm all for that. Yeah, there's got to be some way to fight back. Because then, then it's like it's a lost cause. And you pretty much, they're pretty much done for. And you don't really... You're not really cheering for anything, and there's really nowhere you can go with the story. So there's got to be some way they have to figure out, okay, how can I fight? Even though it's on Freddy's terms, how can I fight him in this world? Right. Or, or like they did bring him into the real world. It makes Freddy actually think a bit more, as opposed to just like, oh, I can brush this off easily. When there's a challenge there, it makes his eventually like, either killing of them or them overcoming it a lot more fun. And that's what we've all been saying about Nightmare 3, is that they do a much better job of like utilizing all those characters who have like an actual fighting chance and a gumption and a spirit that makes you a bit more endeared so later on when they do stuff like the the Christian imagery that we kind of mentioned with like holy water and crosses it, it means a bit more because didn't Nancy basically do Home Alone in the first one yeah it was yeah. literally Home Alone yeah. pretty much yeah <laughs> <laughs> well to be to be fair Home Alone did Nightmare on Elm Street that's true yeah. uh, all the, all all that is missing is Freddy saying, frick a frackin', frick a frackin'. <laughs> <laughs> or Nancy going like this after the tongue comes out of the phone. <laughs> Daniel Stern is Freddy Krueger. Oh, gosh. Oh, Let's not. <laughs> now, he, would, Joe, he, would just, he would just have, like, iron burn marks on his head. <laughs> now Joe Pesci is Freddy Krueger. That's, right. That's even better. <laughs> Don't you fall asleep around me. <laughs> You think I do one-liners? Like how? Like how one-liners? How do I do? You to amuse you? Do I scare you? Are you amused right now? Are you? Got that one minute. Now that we're talking about Joe Pesci as El, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I was Freddy. What about Danny DeVito? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I would Frank I, is way scarier than Freddy. <laughs> I know exactly. Just because I'm the Freddy Krueger man. <laughs> Coming out like this, but I don't know. Uh, but then again, he did have uh, sort of his own version of like the going through like the wall with what, the Christmas episode where he's in the couch. That's basically his equivalent. And just <laughs> no glove, he just smacks you. Yeah. That's what I picture. Who could have predicted that's where that would land? <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note, thanks for uh, coming out for this Dream Warriors panel. 30th On the one hand, damn you Sesame Street for robbing us of that fantastic interview. But on the other hand... Thank you, Sesame Street, because now everybody got to hear that fun, awesome Dream Warriors panel a little earlier than they otherwise would have, and I'm getting my Dragon Con stuff out in a more timely manner than I expected, because I've got, I've, I've still got a few left that have to go up at some point. I have two scheduled, and then I think two or three more 
Well, one is probably a catastrophe, uh, thanks to the, the voice recorder toilet incident of 1-7. But uh, others sound great and will be going up in the coming months uh, as they are needed or deemed appropriate. So, next week... Tune back in for Kamikaze Zombie. The week after that, I think I already announced this, and if I didn't, then I am announcing it now. Uh, November's needless commentary is G.I. Joe, the movie, the 1987 animated movie. Uh, some of us love it. Some of us do not. Some of us haven't even seen it before. So it's going to be fun and exciting, and I'm actually super, super stoked about watching this one well, I, I'm stoked about all the movies that we watch, just some more than others, because G.I. Joe, as you guys should certainly know by now, is near and dear to my heart. So there you go. Uh, best thing you can do to support this show, if you love it, is, oh, yeah, go on iTunes and rate it. Apparently that's a thing you're supposed to do. I, I don't know how any of that works. I don't even know how I got us on iTunes. I, I don't remember, honestly. If anything ever happened and I had to do maintenance on that, we'd all be in trouble. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vic's employee. And of course, it's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.